Hey, good morning, Arbor Church. So good to be with you here today. Hey, I have some uh, vulnerability to share with you today. How many of you have ever done a DNA report, like a 23andMe? Yeah. Oh, not that many hands. You're probably all less curious about your backgrounds than I have been. Well, I, uh, before my, my parents died, actually, I knew my mom, uh, like the clock was running out on her, unfortunately. So I thought it would be kind of fun for us to dive into the DNA report and then share together like some of the things that I found. I thought that would be interesting for us to talk about. And uh, sure enough, this probably comes as no surprise to you, but Alice Nikoni's DNA report shows that she is an elite power athlete. Yes. Yes, that is my body type. Elite power athlete. What else does it say? I prefer chocolate over vanilla ice cream. I am inclined to freckles and red hair. Potentially once upon a time that was true. <laughs> and this is my favorite. Likely I have no unibrow. No unibrow. High five and yes, that is like probably the most, I don't know, it's precious to me, the fact I have no unibrow. But I thought, you know, this, w this pertains to how we're moving through our series right now, which is the family values. Often, churches have something called church membership, and you go to a class, and you sign a thing, and you learn about all the agreements and whatnot. Well, here at Arbor, we, we roll a little bit more organically. And what we do is we say, there are things about you that are uh, Arbor, Arbor characteristics. It's your DNA. It's our DNA. So if I ran into you in the woods and I was thinking, is this an Arborite or not an Arborite? I would find some characteristics about you that would help define you as belonging to us. So by now, since we're four weeks into the series, I'm sure you can recite them in your sleep along with me. But one of the most, uh, one of the characteristics that helps define us the most is our legs, right? If, if you've been here, you know, L-E-G-G-S, legs. We live invitationally. We engage consistently. What else do we do? I'm looking <laughs> gross spiritually. That was Hetherington last week. Today is give generously. And next week, Brian's going to talk about serving sacrificially. So I have the honor of sharing then with you today about what does it look like to give generously? And I, I just know so many of you just are like, I don't really want to talk about money. I don't want to talk about giving. Here's the deal. Most of you are willing to talk about it as long as there's an exemption clause or a money-back guarantee. <laughs> I am telling you right now, hang in there with me till the end. I'm going to offer you both of those, okay? So just put that in your little pocket. There's an exemption and a money-back guarantee, okay? <laughs> but... But scripture talks about giving so often. In fact, Jesus talked about giving and money. 25% of all of his messages were about that. And I think, why are we so timid to talk about money then? If this was important to Jesus, why would it be that like, we're just so, so anxious about money? So um, anyhow, let's pray before we begin. 
Lord Jesus, um, I welcome you here, and I ask you um, to help us see your heart in this issue regarding giving generously. And if it's your heart for us, Lord, may it be so for us as well. In your name we pray, amen. <laughs> All right, so before we figure out if we're generous, let's figure out what generosity looks like, okay? I, I studied this subject, obviously, for the last chunk of time. And I can see that generosity is actually a value in many faith cultures. It's because it reflects something else that's going on inside a person that are universally appreciated, right? Unselfishness, caring for others, um, sharing with, with others the things that you own. So it's, it's understandable that generosity would be something that's valued across many denominations and faiths. So the motive of a Christ follower, though, when they give, looks a little different than some other, other faiths, though. For example, if we're following after the heart of Jesus for generosity, there's nothing like karma going on here. It's not earning us a better like, position in our next life. We're not reducing time in purgatory. That's not a deal either. And we're not gaining a backstage pass into heaven. So what we're doing is trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and the patterns and having our heart shaped like his and our wallet shaped like his as well. So what is generosity then? Um, I went to that very credible source called Facebook to figure out, you know, what truth is. <laughs> And I put out there this last week just a query. I was like, you guys, what does generosity mean to you? And some people replied back, and I loved it. By and large, everyone agreed generosity is not just about money. It's about kindness. It's about time. It's about attention, like loving other people, right? Um, some of my favorites were that they had said that it's unselfish. You give until it hurts. You give when it's inconvenient. And then a friend of mine coined this. She says it's setting aside the me and the my for the we and the ours. I thought that was really cool. I don't know if she made that up or if she just like ripped it off somewhere. But uh, Facebookers agreed by and large that generosity isn't just about money. So it's more than financial, it's relational. And I want you to hold that in, your, in the back of your head as we move through the passages today, okay? It, it may seem like it focuses a little bit more on money, but I want you to keep coming back to the heart of it, okay? So every time that it refers to like giving and you picture a, a, a checkbook, also picture your calendar, okay? Or your time and attention, okay? So Webster's Dictionary is actually a more credible source than Facebook surprisingly, and they describe generosity as going beyond the expected or what is necessary. Going beyond the expectation. And that's going to be our working definition this morning. Generosity means exceeding expectation. So why would we give? Now that we have a working definition of it, why would it be important? We're going to explore it again, not just silver or money, but like spirit, the spirit of it and the heart behind it. Why be generous? The first one is we give out of gratitude. 
We give out of gratitude. From the very first page in God's love story to us, called the Bible, the very first page, and I forgot, I left mine back there, but on the very first page, we see God gave. God gave. He gave us the sun, moon, and stars. He even made them shooting stars, right? He gave us sunrises to wake to and pink sunsets to kiss under. He gave us oceans to sail, waves to surf and ride. He gave us beaches and corals and starfish that hide. He gave gardens of fruit, fragrant flowers and trees, trees that change colors and those that are steadfast and green. He gave us critters to work with, to eat, (laughs) and to love. He gave humans breath and his image. He said, good, you are Tov. He gave us each other and said, here, here's your home, and gave us himself as our friend and our Lord. He gave, he gave, he gave. And even if in response, we spend our whole lives trying to pay him back or to thank him for all of those things, we would still fall short, wouldn't we? There's no way we can pay someone back for that kind of goodness in our lives. So that's the very first page of the Bible. And marching forward from there, things change up a bit, (laughs) but that is still his heart for us that he gave, okay? People of faith back in, the old, back in those pages, they were giving back spontaneously because they did have a generous, grateful heart. They would set up altars and they would put sacrifices there like after he delivered them or after he got them off that ark <laughs> or um, after a battle was won. They knew like their proper response for God's generosity was to be generous back in return. By the time Moses shows up, if you flip a few pages later, Moses shows up. And things have gotten a little weird on earth. (laughs) People, it's complicated. People got complicated. And God sat down with Moses and figured out a law, a Levitical law, which was his agreement, actually like a covenant that would talk about like, hey, here's how we're going to make this whole thing work. People are messy, people are complicated. So let's figure out what does it look like to live a life of faith. And I'm gonna put a pin in that for a minute because I forgot something that was so important. Flip back a few pages in your mind. You went all the way to Moses, but flip back to Abraham. Abraham sat down with the Lord and God made a promise to him, a covenant. Before the law was established, there was a covenant. And it was an agreement between a God and his people. And he said, you know what? Genesis 2. I will be generous with you, and I want you to be generous with others. That's the heartbeat of the Lord for us in terms of an agreement of how this is going to roll out together. I will be generous with you. Your job is to be generous with others. So now go back where you put a pin in Moses. The Levitical law is going to be showing us how we can live with one another in a way that honors God and each other. 
he sets out not just laws about like how to give back, which he agrees like the proper amount is a tenth, a tenth of whatever you earn. That should be coming back to the Lord and his work and his people. But there's more than that to the law. There's like, how do you get along with each other? How do you do mercy? What's justice look like? What does love look like? How do you live with one another in a way that's peaceful and honoring? But that, but that financial portion is important. So I don't want us to overlook that. Still the heartbeat is, I'm going to be generous with you. You be generous with others. I think back then the Levitical you know, law would have been well served by our apps. <laughs> These days I feel like we have apps that help us do everything, right? Like you can automatically deduct a tenth out of your income, right? And it's so easy. And it's so easy. We do things automatically that help us do the things that are important. Apps remind us when to exercise, or they track our heartbeat for that, our blood pressure during it all. They, uh, we do our checking online so that we can see that everything is in order. Um, there's probably accountability software also for things like sobriety and self-control. We know that when something's important, you build it in. You build it in. Because if it's up to us, if we were going to just rely on our good intentions and our great memory, we probably would, would slip a bit. And let me explain to you the cycle that tends to show up in the Old Testament, New Testament, and today. When people are really close to the Lord, it's easy to love others and be generous and give. It's because you hear his heart so well. You know his heartbeat. You know how he wants you to spend your time and money. But sometimes we drift. We're not as close to the Lord as we once were. And when we drift, loving people and giving generously isn't as easy. So then sometimes something bad happens. We call out to the Lord for rescue. He draws in, pulls us out, and we get close again with him. And the cycle of closeness continues. So anyhow, tithing was built in so that people, even if they drifted, would have a habit and routine of being close to the Lord and faithful in that way. So we give because we're grateful. There's another way that we give a reason why we give, and that is we give because it's actually good for us and others. It's good for us and others. This feels really congruent to me to all the other laws that were set up in the Levitical law. Almost all of them have a purpose behind it that the people back then didn't actually know. Like, why should you not eat a vulture? Well, it's because it's full of dead things and bacteria and like vultures aren't good for us. So when God wrote that in, probably the people at the time didn't have all the science behind it. But then they figured out, oh, Vultures, bacteria, we don't want to do that. So anyhow, I feel like God wrote in this giving back part because it also is good for us. So this week I read about um, something called a functional MRI, which basically is a, a way you get... You go into the little metal tube, everything's whirling around you, scientists are standing there with their clipboards, watching your brain light up for different things. And they put people into the tube, 
and they gave them tasks. One of them was, hey, I'm giving you $100 for a food bank. And while you're in the little tube, you're going to be executing transfers of money to this food bank. Every time the opportunity came up for them to, to make a transfer, something deep in the pleasure center lit up. There was some sort of biological cellular response to giving back. They did another study that, uh, what were they tracking? They were tracking four weeks of giving money away. Like, here's a big bank account. Now schedule transfers over the four weeks. Every time they did that, that pleasure center, again, lit up. I love thinking that God has wired us to give. Because what happens when, that, when we feel pleasure? We want to do that thing again, don't we? So God was like, hey, I'm going to wire you in such a way that when you're generous, you're going to go, cool, that was cool. I want to do that again. And why is that? Well, don't you think that God has a plan for us to be providing for others, right? We're, not, we're feeding people. We're building hospitals. We're opening a little church with shiplap and we're keeping the lights on. <laughs> like, there's a plan here. He wants us to continually be generous and he's wired it into us. So it's good for us and it's good for others. I think there's something also in there. I was reading about generosity being the antidote to selfishness or self-centeredness. And that is actually an agreed upon, like across the board, secular people are like, yes, when you're generous, it actually is the thing that combats greed. And I think also that was another way that God wanted us to be, it's good for us to give because he doesn't want us to be sipping from the chalice of greed, right? That's, it's poison. We've seen it in, impact people that we know personally. We've seen it in culture, in the entertainment industry. We've seen it down the street. We've seen it down the hall, <laughs> you know? Like it's a common thing. Greed can corrupt, and I, I feel like that was just another way that God was like, don't eat the vulture. Don't sip from the, the poison of greed. Like, it's not good for you. Not good for you. This is what Jesus said about greed in Luke 12. He said, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. Guard against guard against. I feel like the law, that Levitical law, helped set us up to guard against things that weren't healthy. Greed isn't healthy, right? So this regular giving back, this generosity was good for us. I love that he built it in for our protection. That was something else that I had noted. So we give because we're grateful. We give because it's good for us and others. And thirdly, we give because God's actually given us the grace to give. This was new for me in my study. I, I came across 2 Corinthians 8, which I just found so applicable. I, I'm trying to think of the best word, relatable, to Little Arbor here. So I wanted to read that with you. Paul is writing to an economically diverse church. So that means there's a spectrum of people and their wealth in the church. 
And he's talking about um, another church that actually has a lot of poverty in it. And he's, he's addressing Corinth, which is like Woodenville, like Arbor. And he's addressing them and talking about a church that is much more impoverished. I hear you, Nathan. (laughs) So the Macedonian church, though, was filled with love for the Lord. And out of that outflow, they were filled with joy. And the result was generosity. So this is what he says. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, or dear Arbor, what the grace of God has done through the churches in Macedonia They're being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. So I'm going to stop here and point out, it was God's kindness or grace that led to the joyful generosity, right? So God is like inspiring that and stirring it up in them. He goes on, I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. So it's voluntary. It wasn't mandatory. They begged again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the ministry to the saints. They did even more, which to me is exceeding expectation, right? Exceeding expectation. They gave more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. Arbor, you excel in so many ways. In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. Verse 8, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, and by his poverty he made you rich. I want you to hear that again, not just like through the voice of Allison Oconee, but I want you to listen to that part again with your spiritual ears. So quiet yourselves for a minute and listen to your spirit. Arbor, you excel in so many ways. In your faith, your gifted speakers, knowledge, enthusiasm, and your love. I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. Arbor, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm testing, though, how genuine your love is by comparing it to other churches. You know that generous love of of God. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And by his poverty, he could make you rich. Though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. And how did he do that? He gave, he gave. This is how much he gave. (laughs) This is how much God loved the world. He gave, he gave his son, his one and only son. 
And this is why it was so that anyone believing in him could have a whole and lasting life. So, Arbor, we give because we're grateful, we give because it's good for us, and we give because God has graced us to be generous. Remember his bottom line? I'll be generous with you, you be generous with others, right? It's the agreement, it's the covenant together. So I wanna look at silver and spirit. That's what I, I, I looked at time, treasure, talent, trust me, and I was like, I have heard time, treasure, talent so many times, I'm not gonna preach on that. I'm gonna talk about silver and spirit though, and we're gonna do a little application, if you can. Bear with me here. What does generosity financially look like? So if we're gonna talk about silver, or things that are money-oriented, how does it look to be generous? Well, remember our definition, our working definition was exceeding expectation, right? So what is the expectation, right? Because I wanna know how do I exceed it to be generous? I, I wanna challenge us. What if we thought the baseline was tithing? That's like crazy talk, isn't it? Because for us, so many of us are like, wow, I, I can't afford it, actually. I can't afford to give away 10% of my income. And, and so for some of us, like even challenging and stretching to that baseline is like a... Uh, it's like the thought of this elite power athlete running a marathon. <laughs> I would have to be like, oh my gosh, are you sure? Like, uh, you're telling me I can get there. And the coach is like, Allison, you got this. You're the elite power athlete. You can do it. And I'd have to like super dig deep, you know, and I would have to stretch. So I understand like getting to this baseline might be like that for so many of us. But what if I were to say like, that could be your baseline. And then exceeding that would be anything over that. Ugh, that's huge, isn't it? And I so don't want to seem like Arbor's like a Pharisee here, where it's like, you know what, 10%, and we're going to check, and we're going to bill you. If like you were late, we're, you're going to be hearing from us. No, that is not how we want to roll at all. But I just want to say, Jesus had a couple things to say about this, so I'm going to read them, okay? This is coming from Jesus, when a lot of people are like, dude, do I have to tithe? Let's see what Jesus said. He's talking to the Pharisees, which is like the religious people who should know better, right? Because they like make their whole life about studying the law and religion. They, of all people, should know like what the bar is. So he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are hypocrites, hypocrites. You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. So like a picture, if you've ever seen like a dill weed and they're like counting how many leaves on the dill weed and then like making 10% of it. You're careful to tithe even that, but you're ignoring the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I want you to do both. I want you to do both silver and spirit. 
We talked about how the law includes financial precepts. It also has community precepts in there too. Like what does justice look like? Well, he's saying don't, don't forget about one to do the other. I want you to do both. And he even says that those things of the spirit are more important than money. They're more important. So let's talk about those more important things. Generosity of spirit. I mean, silver actually is really, um, silver is actually the more easy thing to tithe or to give and be generous in because it's like math in a way. Like you figure out what your paycheck is and then you do a calculation and then it like comes out and then you can like do the little checkbox thing. But to be generous of spirit is harder because you're like, oh, oh, what does that look like? Am I doing a good job being generous in spirit? So what's the baseline for that category? I'm going to say, <laughs> it's just I'm me, it's me making this up right now. I'm going to say the baseline for this category is having the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? When you put your faith in Christ, he gives you a gift called the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And the Holy Spirit actually gives you gifts too. And so it's like a little bank account, piggy bank inside, your, inside yourself, right? And there's things in there like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. justice, mercy, faith, wisdom, conviction of sin. Like it's like a guidance for how to live your life. It's all those things inside. So I'm going to say owning the Holy Spirit and his gifts is my baseline. <laughs> Being generous in spirit then is giving those away sharing those with others, okay? So that is when you're generous. You're going above the baseline. You're not just owning it all. You're actually sharing, okay? Listen to what it means to go beyond expectation. I'm gonna take a different translation than you're used to. So, because again, I don't want you checking out and tuning out. First Corinthians 13, I feel like describes going above the baseline spiritually. If I speak in different languages of men or angels, but I don't have love, then I'm a noisy bell or ringing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I understand all the secret things of the Lord and all knowledge, and I could have faith so great I could move mountains, but even with these things, if I don't have love, I am nothing. So then to be spiritually generous, is to love. It's to love. I can own all of these spiritual gifts, but if I don't have love, which leaks these out of me for, for the good of others, the good of myself and the glory of God, I'm not generous of spirit. Donating to a food bank is awesome. Speaking in tongues so great. Knowing the Bible really well, awesome. But if you don't have love, you're at the baseline. <laughs> you're at the baseline. You own these things, but you're not being generous. So when people describe someone who's generous of spirit, the element that they're talking about, the key component there, the magic sauce, is love. Is love. So we see in them a love that is patient, a love that is kind, 
a love that's not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. People who are generous in spirit do not insist on their own way. They're not irritable or resentful. They don't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice in truth. These people, this love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love never ends. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural increase in love. And if you're not seeing this as a hallmark in your own character right now, and you, you yearn to be better than just good at tithing, like if you want to go to the next level then, let's be praying that the Holy Spirit will increase your love, like a generous inheritance that you just like jackpotted and all of a sudden it just like ran into your, your bank account here, <laughs> right? Into your spirit. And that you would, you would leak out and share with others. In addition to that, I want you to put yourself in the pathway of love and opportunity to share with others in this way. That could mean joining a group, right? Because when you join a group, you become familiar with human beings and you're like, crumpet, they just had surgery, they need jello. Gosh, their kid has a fever, I'm gonna drop off a Gatorade pack to them. Like you're gonna become aware of needs when you interact with human beings and you're gonna have opportunities to love them and be generous, right? So join a group. Put yourself in the pathway of love by signing up to serve. In a way, this is tithing yourself, right? You're like, okay, I can't just trust my good intentions that I'm gonna remember to be helpful or <laughs> you know, generous with my time. So I'm gonna sign up and I'm actually gonna commit to doing that. It's in our DNA. It's our 23andMe to be generous people here at Arbor, not just with silver, but with our spirits. And as I said from the outset, I'm sure there's some here who are listening who want the exemption and the guarantee. So this is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave with you guys. The exemption first. <laughs> If you do not consider yourself an Arbor family member, you are exempt from living generously in silver and in spirit. But if you are, <laughs> if you are an Arbor family member, expect the bar to be set at the level of love. I want you to call that out in me. If you see me falling below the bar of the level of love, you come and address that with me, please. Our bar is set at the level of love. And if you're an Arbor family member, you want to be generous in spirit, right? You want to other people to say, hey, you can do better. Like, come on, come on, let's, let's love better. If you're an Arbor family member, that's where the bar is set. We're not endowed with spiritual or silver gifts just to be kept to ourselves. For those of you who want the money back guarantee, I'm gonna read this so I don't blow it because I wrote it carefully. <laughs> I am giving you a money back guarantee. All right, here's the deal. If you are ready to take a step forward in faith, 
and you want to tithe regularly. You want to try that thing on. But you're a little bit worried that you're going to run out of money. Here is my, my deal with you. Today is October 3rd. Next October 3rd. If you have a bill to pay and you can show me your receipts of income and tithing, I will personally pay your bill myself, the one that you cannot meet. I am so sure that God is faithful to those who tithe regularly. He says it in scripture. The only time he ever says, test me, is regarding this. It's in the book of Malachi. And God's talking to his people and he's like, dude, actually, you're cheating me. And they're like, no, what? No, we're not. We're not cheating you. What do you mean? No way. And he's like, Yahweh. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 no. He says, yes way. Yes way. He says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and there will be enough food for my temple. And if you do so, so here is his promise. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing on you so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's what he says. So for me to stand up here and say, Arbor, next October 3rd, if you have tithed regularly, and you show me your receipts, (laughs) right? Trust but verify. and you don't have, you don't have a, enough money to pay a bill, I personally will pay it for you next October 3rd. I feel like the Lord is just so faithful. I can boldly say that kind of thing because I know he is true to his word. And I, I guarantee you, if you test him in this, he will be faithful to you. And if not, I will be. How about loving generously? Is there a money back guarantee on that? Okay, well, here's how I could frame this. If you have loved generously, if you've devoted many hours holding babies during the women's Bible study, if you brought meals to your sick neighbors or were unselfishly kind during a pandemic, I personally guarantee these things too. I will come and hold you. I will bring you a home-cooked meal and be unselfishly kind to you. me and my elite power body athlete, whatever that is. I will come and do that. I personally guarantee a year from now, uh, that is a return that you can bank on as well. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, wow, you are such a boss when it comes to money. You have challenged me. But you've challenged me more than just financially. Lord, you've, you've challenged my spirit. I so want to be loving. I so want to be it said of me that we are generous here, silver and spirit. May it be so, Lord. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response. If you have been at Arbor long, you're familiar with what these candles represent. Sometimes we light them because we want to keep somebody in prayer and we light them during this back end worship time we want to just have it represent our prayer and so we light them today though I want you to pray it in a in a spirit of um, generosity 
<laughs> right? Giving, giving yourself to the Lord. And this doesn't indicate like that you're like signing up for automatic withdrawal or anything like that from your bank account. Nothing like that. But you're saying, Lord, I want that. And I'm willing to talk to you about that, Lord. And so I'm lighting this candle in faith that you are going to be like meeting me here, meeting me here on the subject of generosity. And that's what those are. On either side of the room, we also have our little communion, like our COVID communion things where you take it from the basket and you take it back to your seat and you um, enter into a time of communion. Do that remembering God gave. Jesus gave thanks, broke the bread and offered it to us. And then lastly, there's little offering buckets and there's offering on the, on the sides as well. If you feel like you want to take a step in that direction, We've even provided for the online option because on the offering buckets are those little stickers, the QR code, and you can like take a step of faith by QR coding that and donating to Nay as well. So in whatever way you feel urged to respond during this worship time, we welcome you for it. We'll have three songs so you can kind of gauge that as your timing for moving about the room and enter this time of response.